from 1 Corinthians 15, starting in verse 20. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive, but each in his own turn. Christ, the first fruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him, then the end will come. When he hands over the kingdom to God the Father, after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For he has put everything under his feet. Now when it says that everything has been put under him, it is clear that this does, this does not include God himself, who put everything under Christ. When he has done this, then the Son himself will be made subject to him who put everything under him, so that God may be all in all. But someone may ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? How foolish. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. When you sow, you do not plant the body that will be, but just a seed, perhaps of wheat or of something else. But God gives it a body, as he has determined, and to each kind of seed he gives its own body. All flesh is not the same. Men have one kind of flesh, animals have another, birds another, and fish another. There are also heavenly bodies, and there are earthly bodies. But the splendor of the heavenly bodies is one kind, and the splendor of the earthly bodies is another. The sun has one kind of splendor, the moon another, and the stars another. And stars differs from star and splendor. So will it be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable. It is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. So it is written. The first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam, a life-giving spirit. The spiritual did not come first, but the natural. And after that, the spiritual The first man was of the dust of the earth, the second man from heaven. As with the earthly man, so are those who are of the earth. And as is the man from heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. And just as we have been born the likeness of the earthly man, so shall we bear the likeness of the man from heaven. I declare to you, brothers, That flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the the imperishable. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound. The dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death 
has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good, good morning. I'm Howard Brown, the senior pastor here at Christ Central Church. And uh, that passage just kind of preaches itself sometimes, you know. Um, when you read that, it's not too much you can add um, or take away from that. Uh, it's, it's, it's one of the most powerful passages of scripture in the whole Bible. So as we continue in this part two, um, I would describe on the necessity and centrality of the resurrection. Last week we focused on the necessity and centrality of Jesus' resurrection, and this week, we will connect that truth to the necessity and centrality of the resurrection of believers and what that means for those living today. Living, that is, as human beings in and with the dramatic effects of sin, brokenness, and fallenness in our souls and minds and bodies and world in general. For this very struggle of human beings... And in particular for believers who, who hope and trust for more and better from their Lord while they live down here. Paul gives hope and help for living, teaching that because Jesus bodily rose from the dead, he, the Lord Jesus, reigns. And that because Jesus bodily rose from the dead, believers who died will rise as well. And that finally... Because Jesus bodily rose from the dead. Everything. I said everything. Will be made right. Let's start here. That because Jesus rose from the grave. It is safe to say that Jesus reigns. Jesus reigns. That he by beating life on earth. Death on the cross and the grave, death itself. He became forever the undisputed Lord and Savior of the world. Paul says it this way in verse 20. He says, but Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all dies, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in his own turn, Christ the firstfruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him. The Bible describes Christ here as the first fruits. First fruits uh, for your understanding were the first bunch of stuff that was harvested from the field. And it was examined. And when you examined it, it was representative of what the rest of the harvest w- would look like that followed it. It told the story of what the, how well and how healthy the rest of the fruits were going to be. 
So when Jesus came in the flesh as a representative, as a first fruit of mankind, it meant that the righteousness and redemption he had would be received and then mark all those who were his, who were born again and came after him. And Paul here uses Adam as in Adam and Eve, as a foil to 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 Christ, explaining here that Adam, because of his original and first disobedience, brought us all sin and death. Adam was the first fruit of what life would be like as fallen, sin-laden human beings. That like Adam, we would run from God and fuss and fight with each other and ruin and pollute our world and bodies with God's good stuff. And then because of sin, like Adam, we would die. He is saying that Jesus is the second Adam for those who believe in him. He, as the risen Savior, is the one who is now the new reigning paradigm or or model or example or power and Lord and Savior because he rose and beat back sin and death that Adam brought to us. Jesus has fixed and healed Adam's mess and now offering the same standing he, Jesus, has before God. That now as the first fruits, those who are His can now also be sons and daughters of God who will also inherit what He inherits, who will also resurrect bodily and have eternal life after death, relationship with God and power over sin and its effects. The first fruits. But let's face it, just like Jesus endured the world's stink, And lived in it. We will follow suit. Having to endure what it means to live in the flesh. In this messed up place. And and even suffer in it. I'm sure Paul was getting from the church of Corinth. A lot of what we get today. That's nice Paul. Promises. I've had my fill of promises. That's nice. You know that first fruit principle might keep well in the cool of theological principle, but it rots and gets rank and stale in the real world and heat of everyday living. And, and all of this, Jesus will one day come back and, and fix us. He is the second Adam stuff is nice, but we still have to suffer and struggle. What does it mean that Jesus reigns when you and I have to live here and struggle and go through all of this mess? Look with me at verse 25. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For he has put everything under his feet. Now, now when it says that everything has been put under him, it is clear that this does not include God himself who put everything under Christ. When he has done this, then the son himself will be made subject to him who put everything under him so that God may be all and all. What's it saying to us? The Bible is telling us that one of the benefits of Jesus' resurrection is that he reigns now in and over this present messed up world, which means he is in charge. 
and taking personal responsibility as the Lord and Savior of His people to keep them and help them and develop them through this life into all of the stuff God promises and all of the stuff God needs to do to finally make everything right happens. Which means this, Jesus is not just this king that sits on the throne and reigns and does nothing, but He reigns to kind of be our living governor and middle management of caring for us now through this broken life. The Reverend James Cleveland, gospel singer, had a whole song that went this way, the chorus. Lord, help me to hold out. Lord, help me to hold out until, it's hard for me not to sing it, (laughs) until my change has come. Paul is saying Jesus now reigns. To help us to hold on and hang on as until our change has come. So he is telling them and us to, to hang in there. But where is there, Paul? Look at this world. He's saying don't hang out in the depression of this world, but actually hang out in Christ. Hidden in Christ. Be with and in him. Let him hang on to you being strong on your own in this world. And, and not looking to a king that reigns. Not looking to a king that hears your prayers. Not looking to a king that sees you. Not living in that truth. Paul says, eventually you just want to say let's eat and drink because tomorrow we die there's no need to live like this he says Jesus is the one who reigns he dishes and distributes now powerful grace as the sovereign king for you and me to live out our time in this world until time here is finished and completed by God For those of you who don't know, my wife can cook. And when I say she can cook, don't mean the action. It means the result. It's good. But it takes some time and patience when she cooks. That's not a knock on you, baby, for taking a long time. She likes to use the freshest ingredients. She wants to make sure everything comes out perfect. She wants to make sure things come out hot when it's supposed to be hot and fluffy when it's supposed to be fluffy and it doesn't sit too long. And she's like, oh, wait, go to the store. I need some fresh this. Just use a thing in the can. No, must be fresh this. And it gets, you know, you know, there comes a point where she's like, hey, baby, just get some a snack. You and the boys just get a snack. You got to get an appetizer so you don't go and eat the wrong thing so that you can hold out for the final and best thing. Let me tell you something about the Brown Brothers. I don't know if y'all like us. When we get hungry, we get the manic shakes. We start doing and even saying and eating things we shouldn't. We just looking around, eat for anything. There's a whole piece of chicken. I got, I can't hold out. I gotta eat. We start getting mad, face headaches. If Jesus does not reign in this waiting period, giving and calling us to appetizers of his grace as reigning king, you and I will be trapped living a manic, depressive faith. Sometimes just looking toward the sky in anger or we get all branch Davidian and cultic 
and Mad Max Thunderdome or, or get disillusioned and sillied by unfaithful anticipation or destroyed or overtaken by Greece and the demons of this world that whisper and expose your body and lives to otherwise. It's easy to go kind of crazy down here if you don't recognize that even in this fallen world, your risen Savior reigns and you know what that means. You know, the fallen effects and, and death of this world, y'all, is on blast. Making you not only feel like a motherless child, but act like one. Sometimes it just seems like Jesus called you to wear pork chop underwear in a doggy dog world. That, that he is possibly, right, made promises that he cannot fulfill. Sometimes it's, it's easy to believe that we are suffering because, what, we are too bad or, or too bad off to get and deserve the promise of things being made right. Some of y'all feel like you're just not trying hard enough. That he has left us to deal with the pains of this world alone. But on the contrary, Jesus reigns. He, he is a, alive and at work through his graces and prayer and the word and the community and the gifts of the spirit in, in the church and, and the sacraments like baptism and the Lord's Supper to meet our spiritual needs. Jesus lives and reigns now to bring us hope. And if Jesus is truly first fruits of his people, of what his people will experience. Then if he was victorious over death and the grave bodily rising, then guess what? It only stands the reason that his people will rise too bodily. Look again at verse 20. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. There were those in Corinth who would say that the resurrection is just spiritual. And Paul is like, yes, spiritually, we do rise from the death, from death into a born again life, but the body itself will rise too. Paul is saying that his people will rise for real. For real. Look again at, look with me at verse 35. But someone may ask, how are the dead raised? You kind of have this kid-like question. Daddy, what's it like going to be in heaven, right? What's God going to say to us? You know, and but th- this one's more absurd. And Paul answers in verse 36, you know, again, how are the dead raised? With what kind of with, with what kind of body will they come in verse 36? How foolish what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. When you sow, you do not plant the body that will be but just a seed, perhaps of weed or of something else. But God gives it a body as he is determined and to each kind of seed. He gives its own body. All flesh is not the same. Men have one kind of flesh. Animals have another. Birds another. And fish another. And in Paul's argument, he 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 challenged the absurdity of the question of what kind of body and, and what would it be, especially when people are thinking, you know, we're going to have the spiritual thing. We, we're just going to be all angels floating around. You can see through us and all. We can walk through walls and all that. I don't know. But he's saying, you're going to have a body. His point is that A real God is given us going to give us a real body, and that the real body has God has designed to be the thing that carries the soul. Hear what I'm saying. His point is that God designed the soul to have a perfect home in the body, and the body is made to be the perfect match for the human soul. If we are raised to new life. Spiritual life, it only makes sense if God originally created the body to be the perfect match for the soul, that a body will come with it. You have to ask, did Jesus really rise again if his soul just rose? We'd be in trouble up here. Jesus rose, really? Where is he? 
He rose in spirit. That ain't Jesus didn't rise and we don't see him. You know, one of his disciples like, let me touch you. Let me put my hand in the wounds. He really rose, y'all. You know, it's almost like paying for tickets to a front row concert to see a video or to hear music over a speaker. $75, Jill Scott, front rows, seats, and someone come up with an iPod. It's going to be a riot up in there. <laughs> After $75, I can buy an iPod. You know, Jesus is not a halfway savior. It's a, it's in stereo, right? Your, your redemption is, is HD. It's, it's 3D. It's about the whole person being redeemed for what it meant to be a fallen Adam descendant and to reverse the effects of sin, which extend to the body, not just the soul. God desires the whole you to one day enjoy and be with him forever. But also understand God is planning in the resurrection of the body to change the body in a way that fits the born-again soul. Yeah, you're going to have a body. But that body will be resurrected not only for real, but surreal, right? Like, that is going to make your body match the fantastic. To, To live with and enjoy God and each other in heaven on a new earth forever. And so he uses illustrations in verse 36 through through 44 about the seed. And we've read up to verse 39. So let's pick up at verse 40. He says, there also are also heavenly bodies and there are earthly bodies. But the splendor of the heavenly bodies is one kind and the splendor of the earthly body is another. The sun has one kind of splendor, the moon another, and the stars another. The star differs from the, and star differs from star in, in splendor. So will it be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown imperishable, it sown is perishable, it is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. Again, back to the question. What will the bodies look like? What's it going to be? He's already established. It's going to be a body. But Paul, what's it going to look like? That body in heaven. And he compares the body we have to a seed that falls on the ground and dies in its seed form. But one day comes out as something more grand. And then he talks about the fact that the moon at night gives way, you know, the moon brightness and the sun brightness. And he, he ties it to this, that as this body we have that we inherited from, inherited from the original fallen man, Adam, as it hurts, and you know how it is, it hurts and, and it takes on sickness and, and disease and stress and painful and emotionally and psychological, psychologically damaged stuff, that will one day, because of Jesus, this body at the resurrection will give, you know, that once this body gives out and dies, it will give way at the resurrection. It will be overtaken by what Jesus did for our souls. That what went on, that what went in the ground, Dead and damaged. Some folk dust now, right? Some folk died in the ocean and a shark ate their body. I don't know, but, but, you know, whatever was dead and damaged will raise up as a body, but a better body. (laughs) Right? A glorified body. A body made for a soul that is now eternal and immortal. A body that can't and won't take on pain and destruction and sin. A stainless steel Teflon version of the original you. A pimped out version of your body. 
inside and out. I, sometimes I watch, you know, watch Pimpy ride. I'm like, did they take care of the engine? You go around looking good, things popping on the inside. That ain't right. Well, we fix your engine. Engine works great. Outside look bad. You know, God says he's going to pimp out both sides. If I pimped out your soul on this side, your body going to get it at the resurrection. What Jesus has done in your soul will show up and be reflected on the outside. And when he, and Paul says spiritual body here at the end of 44, he doesn't mean spiritual body is not real. Like we won't be able to touch it one day. But spiritual body meaning recreated. Change from what Jesus has done in the soul of us. And that spiritual change that we get on earth that believers have right now will at the resurrection be the thing that drives what the body will look like. And so in verses 44 through 49, Paul talks about God's spiritual plan was to create a natural atom which resulted in an earthly body that we have now. Then now God has a spiritual plan that he redeems sin through Jesus, which will result in a new body. Like the second Adam, Jesus. So look what he says in verse 49. And just as we have borne the likeness of the earthly man... So shall we bear the likeness of the man from heaven. Jesus is promising us a sequel to the Adam body, right? Remember the Michael Keaton, Jack Nicholas, Batman and the Joker? The original one? Now compare that one to the Dark Knight, Christian Bale, Heath Ledger, Batman and Joker, right? The costumes were more grave and sinister and serious in the remake, right? Why? It was definitely Batman and Joker. You could tell which one was who, but they're not a different person or character. Why was it different? Because this was the redo, this redo of the original was called what? The Dark Knight, not the Prince soundtrack boogie night thing, right? What believers will experience and be uplifted in at the resurrection will no longer reflect the costume and covering of our dark night of living in this decaying body. But it reflects our living in the sequel of a a new day, a a redeemed remake. We will wear the covering and, and bear the proper connection between body and soul. Which means our bodies will have no more sickness. And no more weight issues. And no more destructive memories. And no more longings that we can't get to. And no more stubbed toes. Man, when I hit my toe, it's like I want to die right there, right? When my knee hits the end of that bed on that wood, you're like, oh, why am I alive? I don't know why. That's the worst feeling in the world. And inabilities to, to make your... But now let me make it clear what this also means. Not only about a stainless steel Teflon body that can't be affected by the world's broken sin, but a body made for a world that no longer causes or contains ever again any decay or any rot or any disease or any distress or destruction or catastrophe or sorrow or depression or pain or suffering or death ever, ever again. That at the second coming we say goodbye and graduate from this broken life and body and commence living in a heavenly reality and as happy as occasion as that might sound like our high school and college graduation days there's always tears mamas and daddies 
brothers and sisters. They know that this means goodbye. They are leaving them. At least if not physically in a way that they've known them. Little David and little Jamie. Possibly with the droopy diaper, baby food all over the face, fat cheeks, chubby. That's behind them. And parents feel that that lost, though they know there is better. Our own funerals say what is true. That we should have sorrow and pain and tears when we lose a loved one. They are gone. They are lost to us. And this new state caused by death is evil to us. It's offensive to us. It's it's foreign to our right desire to never lose them the way we had them. I remember my mama sitting in that casket, a saint. There she was, right there. It was her, even dressed in the same thing she wore sometimes. Man, it's hard because she is gone and that body without her in it is wrong. And, and the body even with her on it, with the, with the cancer wasn't right. And, and the fact that she's right there in the flesh, but not there, makes the mind and the heart break. It is the alienation of sin that has caused a rip, a surreal break of us from our bodies and, and from God's perfect plan to have us never die. All you see at graduation is our little children and not the adults they have become. Just like when we look into the casket, all we see is mama, but not really mama. Death is awful. Losing someone is awful and terrible and wrong. Them being lost to us and themselves to themselves is wrong and awful. And that would be the story. Y'all remember graduation? It would just be boys to men. It's the end of the road. Or for us growing up, Michael W. Smith sad songs at graduation. <laughs> graduation, the word means the finish of something. It would just be the end. If it weren't for the reality of the commencement. Paul gives us the song. That we will sing after the sorrow of the graduating death of believers. That at the commencement and conferring upon the degree of his final and eternal grace in verses 54 through 57 is the song and words of the believers pomp and circumstance. It says this. When the perishable, verse 54, has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. And we sing, where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting is, is of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus. That this is not just about a commencement ceremony for you, but we praise God for what has happened. We look back and we, as we're going up, into heaven to be with our Lord whether we've come from the grave or or from the earth we actually look back and yell at the grave death 
Where is your sting? Death, where is your victory? I'm going up to be with Jesus now. He overcame it. There is a victorious commencement to a life eternal. Paul says again in verse 57. Thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. This is not just a commencement ceremony for you. But this is a time to give God glory and honor and thanks. I remember my graduation party. My dad, he's real jokey. He would say, hey, that degree, give me that degree. That's mine. And you're kind of like. I guess you're right. You did pay for it. It's got paid for it. You know, we say thanks be to God because he gave payment through Jesus for the victory over the world, the sin, the flesh, and the devil. But not only for that one day coming, glory, but for the day we need guts to live this life now. That there is no hope for glory. There is no, if there is no hope for glory, then there's no guts to make it now. The Apostle Paul closes with these words. Therefore, my dear brothers, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. When he says labor, it's not just meaning work. Think labor as in childbirth. That the labor, the things that God is doing through you right now in this suffering world are not in vain. The pain, the struggle of giving birth or having something bigger than you come through and out of you. The pain of being saved, of being born again, of being sanctified and changed for the commencement in a world and from a world that just plain makes it hard with misunderstandings and deceptions and bad decisions and mistakes and distrust and bodies that make you and me hungry and give us phobias and, and lead us to do stupid things. He's saying, despite those things, what Jesus is doing in you will happen and is happening. That because he's coming again, because all all things will one day be made right. We can keep walking. We can keep pushing. We can keep crying out to God because it's saying here that he who started it and is reigning over it is promising to finish it in you. I don't know what all y'all are going through right now. And I know for many of you, it's a lot. Much of what's going on is tied up and, and wrapped up in your faith and your church and your relationships and your sense of worth and, and you're fighting for justice and peace and all sorts of devastating and confusing situations and sins for the pain and fear you and I can't see straight or feel right on earth on our own. Listen to what this is saying. Jesus is promising to make it right. That what you are experiencing Is simply preparation for a commencement to glory. You can stand firm if you're standing on the promises of Christ reigning and resurrecting. That we live in this world, 